This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you as always. It's Ohio State game week in Happy Valley, but it's absolutely nothing like we thought it would be heading into 2020 and looking ahead toward this matchup way back when. There will be no whiteout crowd in Beaver Stadium. There will be no Micah Parsons or Journey Brown. And now we know there will be no Noah Kane. James Franklin, Penn State head coach, on Tuesday in his weekly press conference, leading off with confirmation that the sophomore running back and the starter in replacement of Journey Brown will not be available for this program the rest of the way through 2020. Really unfortunate circumstances. We'll get into this in a moment, the impact on the backfield. But general reaction here, Sean, is Noah Kane is a kid that I said just last Friday, I felt like he could go out and lead the Big Ten in rushing yards. He got three of the first four touches for Penn State in their matchup at Indiana. And just like that, it's all over for the sophomore. Really, it's just a shame uh, from what we expected from Noah Kane, from what we expected from this running game. Uh, just watching how they moved the field down or the ball down the field in the limited time that he was in there, and then it, seeing how little changed when Devin Ford came in there. And I'm not saying the results were there, but this was a running game that was built for a tough runner like Noah Kane. And and Devin Ford, while he did show some good things on Saturday against Indiana. Not that guy. He's 198. I think is is his listed weight. Where Noah Kane is 226. So that's a that's a big jump right there. So I'm I'm very curious to see how Penn State handles everything because I mean you you're looking at you're looking at Devin Ford, who's a talented kid, but probably more of a complimentary back right now. Kevon Lee, big kid at fre- a big kid of freshman. Kaziah Holmes, smaller kid of freshman. So all of a sudden that uh, that great running back room. Down its top two, and uh, that's uh, that's not good for Penn State. We've talked about this before. Noah Kane spent really his entire high school career in the national spotlight. Uh, had several Power Five offers as a freshman in the Dallas area. Ends up finishing off his high school career a couple seasons at IMG Academy, which always has a major spotlight on it. And as he announced on signing day, his plan was to be three years at Penn State, have that success, and then get to the next level. Uh, That's going to be facing an obstacle now, Sean, eerily similar to the first career start he had. It was October 25th of 2019. Uh, He had six of the first nine touches in a game at Michigan State. His first career start elevated to that status. We all thought that was the right call. And then he got hurt with an ankle injury. We saw him get one carry against Ohio State a few weeks later. But aside from that, was on the shelf all the way into the Cotton Bowl. And now October 25th, or October 24th, I should say, one day shy of that one-year anniversary, same deal. Three touches on the first four plays, active roll, and then gone. He resurfaces uh, on the sideline with crutches, had that supportive boot on his left foot, really all the way up to his lower leg. Uh, we did not get details on what the injury is, but, but serious enough for James Franklin to confirm that it will keep him out the rest of the way here. And James Franklin, as he said and reiterated today, he's only going to touch on injury issues and get into specifics 
if it is a season ending injury and, and specifics, not to the point where we know what the injury is, but that we know the extent of how it will impact Penn State moving forward. It, you look at this now and you factor in that one carry against Ohio State in 2019 and including that game. By the end of this year, you know, this is ruling out any kind of postseason game, but Kane will have only played in three of the last 14 Penn State contests. And considering where he was a year ago at this time in October, back-to-back 100-yard games, really making his move as the guy, um, it's it's just a, a major, major dip um, in kind of his career trajectory and going to be curious to see where it takes him in 2021. And we'll have plenty of off-season conversations about that next year for now. You move forward, and all of a sudden, Devin Ford, who was supposed to be a a luxury complimentary back in this backfield just a couple weeks ago, crossed Journey Brown off the list for the foreseeable future, crossed Kane off the list for the remainder of this season. He's the guy now. And injuries are going to happen at running back, but you didn't really expect to be going into week two on your number three running back and two freshmen as a backup. And I mean, you 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 even looked at what Noah Kane did uh, on Saturday against Indiana. Nothing that screams you know, horrible injury or anything like that. He actually looked like he he heard it on a carry and then stayed in for another play on the Sean Clifford quarterback draw and just was clearly favoring that left foot. But once he came out, those crutches, uh, it was not good. I mean, you, you, you could basically write him off for Ohio state then. And, and now it seems like the, uh, the initial fears were correct. And that's, uh, that's really a shame, but yeah, you're right. Devin Ford, um, for, for all the talent he has, as I mentioned, I mean, he's, he's a very different kind of back. So what's Penn state going to do with its running game? I actually thought when taking a look back and, and we'll get into the second look here in a little bit, but taking a look back at this game on Saturday, you know, Penn state's front five, front five or front six, sometimes when they overloaded actually blocked pretty well for the running game. Um, there was some, some inconsistencies with the tight end, which kind of hurt, uh, you know, really didn't ask them to do too much, but that, that zone running game that, that, uh, Phil Troutwine kind of, uh, has, you know, I guess, uh, immersed himself in with Kirk Shiraka's offense was moving pretty well as a, as a unit. So uh, I'm, I'm very curious what this does. Do we see more outside stuff? Do we see more of Kevon Lee, who I thought when he was in there handled it pretty well. Now those two freshmen, I think need a little bit of confidence. Um, I, I think there's going to be a lot thrown at them in practice this week because they're going to have to have a role. There's really no choice. Um, uh, but we'll see where this goes. So I'm, I'm concerned which way the running game is going to go. I don't think it was, uh, you know, awful on Saturday, but it was kind of just, uh, jamming Devin Ford, who's a thinner peg into a Noah Kane style hole. And that's, uh, that, that really didn't work out as well as probably, they probably hoped it would. There's such a de- decisiveness about the way Noah Kane approaches even small space that, that he finds and he gets those yards. And you just wonder right now, does Devin Ford have that ability? It, it's it's almost an innate ability for a lot of these running backs. It's always stood out about Noah Kane, who was never the biggest or the fastest of the running backs in his in his class or in this Penn State backfield, but so effective. And I think that's also an element of, of Journey Brown's arsenal that really sharpened over the course of the 2019 season. Uh, Devin Ford, uh, now, you know, ready or not, He's, he's going to get these touches. Uh, you would expect he'll get the majority of work. But as Franklin said, it's time to see what these freshmen can do. They would have preferred to have worked them in in, in less stressful situations and, 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 and probably smaller spotlight windows over the course of the season. That can't happen now. It's, it's, it's a primetime matchup against Ohio State. Um, the whole world's watching in college football, and 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 you got to be ready to carry the rock. And I think we uh, got a nice look at at Kevon Lee in, in in week one to a lesser.
lesser extent. Um, we saw Kazai at home, six carries, 15 yards. You know, didn't really take much away from that. But with Lee, it was, I think, 35 yards on the ground on those six rush attempts and, and added a couple catches. Probably the, the player that when you think about the power, where's that coming from the backfield now? You look to him. Um, and I am very curious on, on if he goes out there and establishes himself a bit, um, say, third or fourth offensive possession of this matchup. If he looks like he's a guy who's going to be effective against Ohio State, be the guy falling forward, setting you up for manageable second and third downs, do you kind of roll with him into a, a, a more extensive, um, you know, to a more extensive kind of clip uh, and, and rather than saying, OK, your series is over, come back to the sideline, we'll get you back in later? Because we saw Kevon Lee develop some momentum uh, against Indiana and then it was kind of, OK, young man, back back to the sideline, um, you know, good work, but it's time to get back uh, Devin Ford back. In the yeah, world. I think that's a legitimate question. And I think a lot of that may come down to pass protection. And, and you know, I thought Devin Ford was kind of decent in that area on Saturday. The, the freshmen were hit and miss because I Holmes actually had a really nice uh, uh, blitz pickup. But I mean, it, it's there's so many questions because a four yard run by Devin Ford is a six yard run for Noah Kane. And that may not sound like much, but when you're talking about staying on schedule, when you're talking about doing that, and, and when you take into account the success that Nebraska had on the ground um, at Ohio State, and you know, you're you're trying to catch Ohio State here. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to do anything that they're probably not expecting. You're trying to catch them and try and dictate with that. And to me, Lee kind of fits that bill in terms of what you want to do. You want to keep it, you know, keep the scoring down, keep the clock running, you know, have more of those seven minute drives that they opened the game with uh, earlier this week. So I think, I think it, Lee does make sense. I, I, I don't think you can abandon Ford. I think Ford, like I said, did some nice things. Obviously, the the end of the game is going to sort of, skew the memories i mean it's now when you have a name a game named after you the devon ford game it's uh, either really really good or really really bad and you know that's unfortunately all people are going to remember but you know he's pretty productive in his own right uh for for some of the running that he was asked to do on saturday and by the way i watched this live and it was startling the, the comparisons you had an, a former nfl offensive mvp of the league who has made millions of dollars playing the running back position and todd Gurley fail to stop short of the goal line for the Atlanta Falcons when he was clearly directed to do so was he, he he crossed that plane and you saw Detroit Lions defenders like we saw at Indiana raising their heart, hands in jubilation that a touchdown was scored against them because they got the ball back Matt Stafford led a touchdown drive it was crazy to see that exact same circumstance play out now they were down in that game they were setting up for for a very short range field goal that would have given them a one point um, advantage in the win um, and they could have taken it down to zeros for that kick but it, it was still a circumstance where it was the touchdown you didn't want to score, ultimately leading to the touchdown that that takes you toward the loss column. I don't know that I've ever seen that actually work, and then for to see it work twice in two days is just unbelievable to me. So, uh, kudos to those teams for pulling it off. But there's, I mean, that's just it's unbelievable. I mean, it's just uh, just think about the odds, the win probability, all that kind of stuff, and and forget about who told who on the sideline. I mean, you. T- you got to know better, but uh, for that just to happen is just an incredibly stroke, an incredible stroke of dumb luck there. Before we turn our attention away from that backfield, the other power guy that we've talked about maybe playing a role there is Will Levis. 
I don't know what happens with that package moving forward. Sean Clifford expressed confidence in, in Will Levis and said he has he has been prepared, but it didn't look like everything was on the same page on the first appearance. There was a delay of game. He, he shared some words with James Franklin on the sideline. Looked like he came away from that conversation confused. The next time we saw him, it was a, a fumble near the goal line that was a, a huge impact on the Indiana matchup. So we're not sure how that factors in moving forward with the run run game, but it's something that we have harped on quite a bit here on the podcast, and it's something that Kirk Shiraka acknowledged as a potential uh, thing to utilize, and, and maybe now more than ever, they may need to, need to utilize his rushing ability. Just not sure how that fits in at this point, it's, how ready it's they be are. be better than Saturday, man. Yeah, it that, that, it, it, just, it's got to be. It's uh, for him to come in with that delay of game, and then the second one, I mean, the second one, keep or or hand off you have that first down i mean it's pretty it's pretty well open and then all of a sudden you get the ball knocked out it was great defensive play but still i mean you've got to be secure you've got to when you take your chances you've got to be better than that i mean it's it was just really unbelievable that just a just this series of events and and you know get into to some of the rewatch here which was just absolutely brutal but that's beside the point but just the, some of the series of events where you've got Pat Fryermuth dropping passes. You've got some of these interceptions that were just crazy unbelievable. You've got the fumble. To, and then, you know, to, to be down 10 going into halftime is really remarkable considering what, you know, what you kind of left out there on the field. So it it really is just that that sort of when you take these chances, you got to tighten these things up. And we talk about play calling. We talk about all this stuff and we want to, you know, bitch and complain about it all weekend. And that's perfectly fine because, you know, there's certainly some things worth second guessing. But comes down to execution i mean it, it it's not that difficult to pin down what happened with the when you take a look at the turnover and the penalty numbers and as we said and and by the way thanks to those to, who joined us for the conversation that 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 we got up uh, alive somewhere between when you went to bed saturday and when you woke up on sunday and potentially for those of you who stayed up all night kind of digesting what you just saw you had to come through uh, over the course of that, but a lot of feedback from the post game podcast, as we expected. It's something that you and I were up probably till I don't know one past one a.m. recording. Um, we got a lot of our initial thoughts out there. As you're going to share now, you've gotten a second look at at the film, and and you're going to have your second look piece up on the site at some point soon. And and I think it's a very appreciated uh, staple of, of our weekly coverage at Lines Twenty Four Seven. Great stuff last year. I look forward to reading this one. Um, but as you have noted here. Some of those initial takeaways that that we were bouncing around back and forth with late and deep into the night on Saturday held up pretty well as you took another dive into this thing. Yeah, if you look at some of the hidden yardage in this game, it's just, I mean, I know Penn State was so dominant in terms of uh, yard, like total total offense and everything like that, but you break it down to some of these uh, these smaller things, like Adisa Isaac gets that sack, and that's a seven-yard loss turning into a 15-yard penalty. That's a 32-yard flip of the field on a drive that's only 72 yards long, and you you know that's obviously the time factors into that as well, but it's just so many things that I, some of it's boneheaded, like the thing with Ford at the end, um, um, some of it just sort of dumb luck, bad luck. Uh, the Pat Fryermuth offensive uh, pass interference, the fa- the face mask on Adisa Isaac that I keep going back to. It's just some of the stuff you know you kind of get out in the non conference, and I, I know that's a cop out, and that's you know that's sort of kind of where we're at with this. But you know you you really don't have that opportunity because everybody's going through the same thing, so it's not an excuse. But usually you see it ironed out by now, and that's that's really unfortunate. To me, that what comes across, Clifford has to be better. I mean, you, some of the throws that he made the other day were were big league sh- throws. They were really good throws. Other ones, you know, you can't have these lapses. I mean, you when your team ceiling is a little bit lower than we expected because Journey's out and Mike is not here and now Noah Kane's out and everything like that, 
you just can't make you know buckle up and make these mistakes. So you're overthrowing receivers. If you get some pressure and you know you, you you sling it and it happens to go the other way, that's unfortunate. But the overthrow of Pat Fryermuth from his own end zone, clean pocket, you know, of, uh, open receiver, you got to hit that throw. And that's that's something for a second year starter. You know, maybe you get a little bit of grace period in your first year and everything like that. But you got to hit that throw. Um, I was impressed the way that he bounced back. I was impressed the way that he ran the ball. And I think you know, given what we thought about this offense coming into the uh, coming into the season, where we thought we'd see him run less, and they kind of started out the game that way. I don't think that can happen anymore. And that's really unfortunate because, you know, you wanted to, to kind of get away from that. But now without Noah Kane, you need to have a running threat. You're probably going to see Sean Clifford double digit rushing attempts, um, even though that's not really the, it wasn't really the, the goal coming in. So I think that Clifford, I mean, there was a lot of good in that game, but the bad is so, you know, the, the, the lows are so low that it kind of wipes that other stuff out and puts you in that hole where you're down 10 going into halftime and, you know, maybe lucky to be only be down 10 going into halftime. So that's, uh, that's really the first couple things that, that pop out to me. I think we said on the post game podcast where the big play is going to go to. We talked to James Franklin a little bit earlier today, still a major concern. We'd like to see them go down the field. I mean, let's be honest, the way that they call pass interference now, you might have to take a shot here and there, even when you don't want to. We saw that Parker Washington, um, you know, the, the when Sean Clifford, right before he threw the interception, they went downfield on a first down. Parker Washington got, uh, I guess, impeded his progress. Maybe just throw that ball up there. I, You know, it's, it's easy to say a lot of this stuff in hindsight, but I mean, you've got to find a way to make these plays or at least make up the yardage and, and get some of that hidden yardage back that we just talked about. Something I'll be looking very closely at early on against Ohio State, which is a, a supremely athletic defense. I know it's it's tasked with replacing several starters from last year, and overall, the Ohio State lost ten draft picks from that twenty nineteen roster, but they're off to a solid start. Um, but I think when you look at them defensively matching up against Penn State, is Clifford's trust of his reads going to be outweighed by maybe his distrust? of what he's got at running back right now is that that's going to be a concern for me because we've we've seen when he makes the wrong read it's a bad result for for Penn State on the ground and not only is he taking shots but he's taking shots and not picking up yards and and, and you're looking for for some validation for for Clifford taking this volume of hits that he's going to take if he's running this much and we'll see if he survives deep into the season I'm don't know if that happens. They've had issues with their quarterbacks the last couple of years, and that was supposed to be kind of remedied by the new installation of an offense and what we thought it might look like. That That's concerning for me, Sean, because we see Clifford take these hits. He took a few of them against Indiana that I, I did wonder, is he going to get up? Is it going to be Will Levis coming in? And that didn't happen. And, and Sean kept getting up and he kept battling. And, and that's the one thing that you love about Sean Clifford. He's got that kind of bounce back attitude and he's kind of, you know, charismatic dude that down the stretch doesn't tend to kind of go into the fetal position, but he's set some bad precedents for himself. He set some bad foundational moments for Penn State over the course of these games. When he's not on early, and we've seen that before, it sets them back. And sometimes you can survive that. Again, we've said if you're playing a Buffalo or a Kent State, you probably survive that. You probably end up winning by a couple of scores when you write the ship as the second half progresses. But not on the road against Indiana, a team that was already a fringe top 25 team. Now they're in that top 25. Clifford's concerning to me. But as I said on the postgame podcast, if you're looking for an obvious solution, Solution to come in off the bench and, and right the ship offensively now is is not really the time I think from a personnel standpoint but also from the supporting cast standpoint uh, there, there's just not a lot of guys you can lean on and all of a sudden we said it, we kept circling back during the offseason 
Clifford's got to be better. You think he'll get there with Shiraka, but at the very least, you can lean on what should be one of the, the best backfields in the nation, one of the most effective rushing attacks in the country. That is now kind of thrown up in the air. We don't know how effective this run game is going to be. And all of a sudden, responsibility is piling up on the shoulders of Sean Clifford with a young receiving group, and, and that's concerning. That's the. I think that's the right way to put it. Responsibility is going to be there. And for Sean Clifford, I think a lot of the mistakes you see carry over from last season and that's the concerning part you've got the happy feet in the in the pocket you've got some of that scrambling and and you know not getting rid of the ball and taking some hits and he's a tough kid and I you know I'm very impressed with the way that he was able to guide that comeback the other day but at the same time you got to make these decisions you got to be that guy on the field that's sort of putting the guys in the right spot and you know sometimes when you're making these lapses and and, and it's funny you say um, you know, you want to see him off to a fast start. He was seven of eight when he threw that first uh, touchdown, or excuse me, that, that first uh, interception the other day. So it, it's so random with Sean Clifford when you're going to get one of these uh, essentially goose eggs that comes out of it. And that's, I think that's the scary part because you can't, you know, you, you can be 14 of 15, but you know, if that 15, you know, if that 15 throw is going back the other way, that's a problem. So I, with a defense like Ohio State coming in week two, that's going to be a tall order from him. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious how he's going to respond. Sometimes it feels like Cliff loses control of his own offensive attack. And, and you look across at the teams that win consistently and win big and, and pile it on with their offenses across college football. Those quarterbacks maintain that control. And sometimes it seems like Clifford can go a series or two or a quarter or just a moment where he seems to lose control of, of, of where he is within the game, where he is as an offensive point guard. Uh, and and that is very detrimental to this offense. And that awareness, I think, is something that, that you know, Kirk Shiraka can hammer home a lot of things, but but uh, some of this is just, you know, when the live bolts are firing, who are you and, and how do you perform? I, I don't want to pigeonhole Sean Clifford at this point in his career because this is one game into his second year as a starter and he's a redshirt junior. But I think there are, are trends that have surfaced in year two now early on. And if they carry over into Ohio State, they're going to be even more glaring against that defense. And with the spotlight that's on Penn State, there's a lot to, that you want to see ironed out. And there's very little time for that to happen between the, the new offensive coordinator and the starting quarterback, and, and we're talking about an offense that is, is unraveling a bit in their supporting cast department. Now, there were some positives from this matchup. We're going to get to them in a moment through the film study that Sean thought stood out, and, and, and we'll get to that. We'll talk about a little bit more on the Ohio State matchup, just a, a, an early look at that before we dive in next episode. And we got our five-star mailbag to get to as well. So stay with us here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we continue with our look at the action in Bloomington. We've covered so much ground on here. We spent a lot of time spotlighting some of the obvious frustrations, but we're going to spend a little bit more here with, with some positives that stood out uh, from review of this matchup, Sean. And, and we're going to start over at the defensive front and, and really the defensive line at total. But Jason Away, Shaka Tony seem to really get the job done, particularly late in this contest. But I think if you extend it uh, and zoom out this thing, the defense probably deserves more credit than they're going to get because of how this game ended. Oh, I have no doubt about that. And, and, and I will say this, 
to the listeners, readers, whomever, um, not familiar with the rewatch, the rewatch does show you quite a bit because we, I mean, we run back every play multiple times and, and you just see a little bit, you know, you see a lot more, but you just, some of the stuff that you get these little knee jerk reactions for and everything like that kind of goes away, you know, and maybe not away, but, um, but so, so yeah, you're right. I mean, with the defensive line, this was a really big thing. I thought, I thought the defense as a whole more than fine. I thought they were good. And, and you look at say 36 points and I understand that, but if you look at how that came about and of course the overtime, the short fields and things like that, they got the stop when they needed to. And that's, you know, that's commendable. So um, the defensive line is where it all started. I thought Jason Oway and, and Shaka Tony were top of the board for Penn State. I thought they were both very good and they both played the run very well as well. I mean, Indiana did not run the football all that effectively. Stevie, Stevie Scott got in the end zone twice, but at the same time, I think 41 yards rushing or something like that. And also you can you can lump P.J. Mustafer and Antonio Shelton in there. Shelton had a few plays in the backfield. Uh, he was you know right in the mix in that fumble right before the half. Mustafer didn't really do anything in terms of the stat sheet, but they accounted for him. They knew where he was at every play. They had you know, it, it was double team after double team for PJ Mustafer. Um, so somebody had some respect there. So the front four, I thought was, was actually pretty darn good. And, uh, you know, from, if you can build on that and get some more rotations in there, get some other guys in there, I think that certainly, uh, can, can go a long way to, uh, maybe not this weekend because you're going to face a, you know, just a hailstorm coming your way, but you can build on that and have one of the better defensive lines in the conference. The linebackers, I think still need some work, uh, praised Lance Dixon the other night. I thought after watching it might've gotten a little bit ahead of myself. He's got some work to do. Brandon Smith kind of disappeared. Uh, Ellis Brooks was up and down. Jesse Lucetta was actually pretty good when he was in there, uh, especially against the run. So, you know, you kind of feel a little bit more encouraged about the front seven after, uh, looking at that, especially against the run. Um, but those linebackers, it, it's going to be tough for them. And, and that's a thin group right now, especially with, uh, you know, you don't have much experience for Curtis Jacobs. Uh, Charlie Catcher didn't play. So, you know, you've got, uh, uh limited bodies there with the, with the injuries that they've had and and the, of course the targeting because you don't have Jesse Lucetta this week uh in the defensive backfield three Castro fields Joey Porter downright good I mean that's uh that's some positives to look for their coverage was there even on the last drive of the game Michael Penix just threw some ridiculous balls I tell you what I mean you gotta for for as as erratic as he was for most of the game I mean he put some just pinpoint passes on there in that last drive and, and those, certainly that's moments it. after he got repeatedly crushed by Shaka Tony yeah, for like him the- to step up and deliver that drive. I want to remind people because the defense, again, the, the final result isn't where, and he had 36 points surrendered. Let's remember a four yard uh, touchdown was all that was required for them on, on that one drive following the Clifford interception. But Penix, it, if Devin Ford goes down and we're always, if, if, if that happens and, and you don't get, give the ball back to Indiana, Penix finishes that game well under 50% completion rating and under 100 yards passing. This was the key that you and I included, you know, kind of hyped up as luck out for this guy. He might be on the verge of a breakout. Penn State's going to face a really capable quarterback. And the clamps were on this kid. He missed some key passes. We talked about that in the in the pre in the uh, pregame show. Or I'm sorry, in the postgame show. But man, I mean, until that final drive, and that's the one that we're all going to remember. And then the overtime session, they did a tremendous job against this guy. And the pre- the pressure was there in the, on the last drive. I mean, he was throwing with Jason Oway, hitting his arm. I think there was one instance when Oway and Tony kind of ran into each other at Penix, and he still completed the pass. And it was just – it was uh, nothing short of miraculous. And, and I know Penn State fans have sort of grown to uh, see <laughs> this – 
type of performance by a quarterback and it's uh defies all odds sometimes and and Michael Penix got that one drive and like I said he was not very good the rest of the day wasn't getting his feet in the throws was was pressured Jason away didn't come away with any sacks but he got that tackle back into Penix and certainly uh certainly altered some of his passing uh techniques so I, I thought the, the the pass rush was good that you know I thought the defense as a whole was good and just they couldn't get that last stop. So uh, it's tough. It's tough to to pinpoint what goes wrong when so many things, so many elements of it were right, if that makes any sense. Really commendable play. And more than that, just, just outstanding play for the most part out of those two cornerbacks. As you mentioned, the starters, we saw probably less of Marcus Wilson than I anticipated and clearly less of, of Keaton Ellis than, than we thought we would see. He was involved on special teams coverage. Notice that I believe on, on the, on the opening kickoff. Um, but uh, not in the opening kickoff, but on Penn State's first kickoff, and but not involved in the defensive backfield. I was surprised. They went pretty shallow, really, across the board. You look at the defensive tackle position, we thought maybe there'd be more guys worked in there. It was a keen beam-in, and then there was a steep drop-off. You saw a little bit of Fred Hansard involved, uh, Not judge, no Judge Culpepper on the defensive unit, played a little special teams, but um, I was a little surprised by that. And, I, and going back to the linebackers for next, for next game against Ohio State, I'm definitely circling Lance Dixon as a guy who that he's an X factor if Penn State wants to have a chance because I I I think that's a really scary situation for him not to step up into with Jesse Lucetta sideline for, for for the first half of this game and you wonder what the game's going to look like when he gets back on the field can they hold up defensively um, you know I think Lucetta was probably uh, their most complete linebacker over the course of to the point where he was out of the game against Indiana um, Lance Dixon having to step up and play a lot of football early and often against the Buckeyes uh, maybe it's maybe someone else contributes there but uh, based on what we saw that's that's what it's going to be and Brandon Smith again didn't didn't log a stat and and didn't play a lot of football you know Lance Dixon played more snap than him and I think Ellis Brooks probably just about doubled up his snap count and that was a surprise to both of us yeah I, I expected to see a lot more Brandon Smith and uh, maybe that's a question for for James Franklin tomorrow but that was uh Definitely, definitely shocking not to see him out there. By the way, he looked good rushing the pass. He looked, uh, you know, a little hesitant in the space. Um, but I guess you'll have that as a uh, true sophomore. Uh, offensively, in terms of things that were probably better than you thought, the offensive line was was fine. Uh, I know that they're going to get a lot of crap for the way that they seemingly played, um, especially some short yardage situations. And I think I said that after the the show after the game on the post game show. But uh, they were fine. I mean, they, they, I just looking back at it, there wasn't, you know, any huge glaring holes or mistakes or anything like that, that they made a couple of, uh, you know, offsides things. But for the most part, they were moving as one unit and doing what they needed to do, get in the right spot. Tight end blocking was up and down. And I think there, if you, there's a correlation there in terms of, uh, missed blocks with tight ends to short to negative gain, uh, yardage plays. So, um, that's certainly something that could come come along, and that was all Friermuth and Brenton Strange. We didn't see any Zach Koontz, and yeah, I mean that's uh, I think that's pretty much what it's going to come down to moving forward. Is uh, you know that offensive line I think is going to continue to get better. I think they were better than they were last year, and and the pass protection. I thought was way up just in terms of what I remember seeing from last year. Uh, Clifford's. Uh, 
pre-snap reads are going to be an issue moving forward. I, I see a lot of teams sort of changing things right before the snap. And that's traditionally what we've seen from Clifford is he has trouble, you know, it's sort of adjusting to it on the fly. I think they're going to see more zone than you would typically see. I think that gives him trouble. And I think that also like uh, just counting numbers, making reads is, is something, you know, because when, when you're running that, uh, that style of offense, you're talking, you're taking, you're taking numbers in the box versus blockers. You know, sometimes you can get away with it. Oftentimes you can't. And I think that that's got to be really one of the more important things for Sean Clifford to, uh, to handle. So I thought they, I thought they blocked well when they were, you know, when the numbers were even, I would venture to say that they probably even had the advantage. Um, sometimes Indiana would come up and load the box and Penn State uh, calls or offense wouldn't account for it. So that's, I think that's probably the next step right there. A um, couple things to take away from that. You mentioned Brenton Strange being the guy that was involved uh, with Pat Fryermuth at tight end. The 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 total blank uh, offensively from Zach Kuntz in this matchup was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, maybe it shouldn't be. He, he was you know there was no or designation between those two guys for second and third team. I guess that says a lot about what Brenton Strange has done and maybe what Zach Kuntz was not able to accomplish during the preseason. But I thought to not see him involved in any capacity, particularly when you're seeing a guy like Isaac Lutz involved out there wide receiver and then wide receiver spot without Cam Sullivan Brown. Uh, we, we don't know why that exactly happened, but you were short, you were, you were down a man and you were relying on young players. Um, and I think you saw a ton of Parker Washington. That guy just, that guy loaded up on snaps. It's very clear that, that Clifford looked toward his direction in a couple key spots. So um, I think he's full go as a main component in this offensive attack. There's no doubt about it. And one other note here, Mike Miranda at left guard is kind of the spot we circled and saying you could see a rotation there. It ended up working out on the other side, Sean. Did that stand out to you at all? And seeing Des Holmes uh, checking in with, with CJ Thorpe at right guard over the course of this matchup? It certainly did, especially given, you know, Des Holmes' history. And you talk about uh, what James Franklin had to say last year where he wasn't as comfortable on the right side. So you would think just the natural uh, order of things would push him to the left side. But, yeah, I think Miranda played every snap um, offensively, and that's that certainly a surprise. Um, you know, obviously you want to keep continuity as much as you can, but he essentially split pretty well with C.J. Thorpe there at right guard. Right guard was a spot. There was rotation in place last year. Looks like to start things off. That is the way we did get Mike Miranda for, for a, a brief conversation on Tuesday. Not a ton of takeaways from there. And he was, I asked him about the, the rotation actually and, and, and kind of where things stood there. And he says he sees it as a week to week deal. Um, and he's just going to go out and do his job. So not much to glean from that conversation about where the offensive line is going. Caden Wallace involved for a bit uh, in, in that six-man front in between Fries um, and whoever was playing right guard at the time. I think it was C.J. Thorpe. Um, you have a note here, and I think it's a pretty obvious one. It's something we touched on, but I, I want to bring it back to you because you say, no, Noah Kane may be a big problem for Penn State. And that's obvious on the surface, but I know that you're putting that down there for a reason after watching the film. Well, yeah, they're going to have to account for, you know, a, a bunch of things with Noah Kane out of there. We, I think we kind of already covered this in the first part. Uh, Devin Ford, not a big back. Kevon Lee, a bigger back. And Keziah Holmes, not a big back. And they were running, you know, for, to simplify it, pretty big back stuff. A lot of inside zone, a lot of stuff where that, that running back is going to take a pounding. And Devin Ford, more of a slasher type guy. Like I said, I, I would label him as a, as an all-purpose complimentary type guy. Um, and you get, but 
usually got to have a big guy to compliment that. <laughs> and then, you know, it's unfortunate what happened to Noah, but I think they're going to have to figure out a different way, you know, to run the football and that. And, and unfortunately as well, I think that includes running Sean Clifford some more, which is not really what you want to do with your starting quarterback. So I think they're going to have to make some adjustments without Kane out there. And, you know, I, I still think it can be a productive running team. I think the offensive line, you know, will continue to, to do better. Like I said, they were moving as one unit. And when you're blocking the way that they block, uh, the scheme that they block, that's kind of exactly what you want. So encouraged with some stuff that I saw from the offensive line. Uh, still think there's a lot of talent in that backfield, but 40% of your top talent is, you know, out for the year, essentially. Uh, Journey Brown, I guess James Franklin said Tuesday would not, you know, comment on whether or not he was coming back, but he wouldn't rule him out for the year like he did with Noah Kane. So, I mean, it's, uh, I guess you can, you can say it is what it is there, but that's, uh, that room is thinning fast. And now all of a sudden you've got the sophomore and two true freshmen. And it's just across the board right now. Sean Clifford cannot be your most explosive offensive player. And he was, uh, I mean, I know he, I know he found Jahan Dotson and Jahan Dotson did the, uh, the heavy lifting on that play to, to, to outrun the defensive back and reach his way to the end zone. But you know, Sean Clifford has that 35 yard run where he dazzles a bit out there, but that can't be your, your, your go-to guy as, as your most explosive player and you're down KJ Hamler going into this season. You knew that was going to be a, a vacancy to fill and, and maybe a hard one to do with, with what you have personnel wise, but to lose Kane, the home run hitter. And it sounds like Penn state was really expecting some more explosiveness out of Noah Kane this year. Um, Franklin alluded to this during his Tuesday press conference. They got to find a way to, to get guys, the football who can make explosive plays and who might be that to step up. Uh, no time like the present against Ohio state. And we know they have their fair share of players who can make those kind of plays, Sean. They're number three in the country coming into town on Saturday for this Halloween showdown and a matchup. As we said, you, you turn the page to 2020 from last year, and, and you say, man, that's going to be such an awesome atmosphere. Uh, your college game day is going to be there. It's going to be all these marquee players on both sides of the football one of those things is still true. College game day is going to be here broadcasting the game, but Penn State has certainly taken the brunt of the attrition on, on personnel circumstances, and that goes far beyond what we could have ever thought. As I mentioned earlier, Ohio State, they lost 10 draft picks. Uh, Penn State lost six draft picks. Uh, Ohio State, I think, had three first-rounders go. But they got two huge opt-ins, Wyatt Davis, an All-American offensive uh, lineman, and then Sean Wade, uh, a preseason All-American cornerback, uh, both after initially saying they were going to shift focus to the NFL. That Big Ten schedule was back on, and they were back in the fold with the Buckeyes. Justin Fields was one of those guys early on when there was a lot of concern about what, hap- what happened with Big Ten players. He was kind of leading the charge for, for, for that uh, players' alliance, and he was also a guy that never said he was going to opt out, and, and that was huge. And you could see right away what he brings to the table. 20 of 21 passing against ne- uh, Nebraska in the opener. That was a game that was, uh, I think, 17-14 Ohio State, uh, about eight minutes to, eight minutes into that uh, second quarter, and then they dominated the rest of the way, won it 52-17. to they're number three. There's three other Big Ten programs that are now ranked ahead of of uh, Penn State. Uh, Wisconsin, number nine. Michigan, number 13. And Indiana, the team we just talked about, they make their debut on the season at number 17. Sean, I know folks don't want to hear about rankings, but national perception and that brand stuff, it is oftentimes correlated to the number to the left of your name or the lack of that number. And if Penn State goes down this weekend, they're in serious jeopardy of snapping a 63-pole streak and that is trailing only Ohio State, uh, Alabama, and Clemson. So it's an elite territory for a program that wants to put itself into that territory all the way. Um, and, and I think, you know, they fall to 0-2, uh, particularly if it's not a highly contested game, uh, you can say goodbye to that streak. 
I think so. I mean, I don't think there's any question. I mean, it just goes back. You got to take care of business in Indiana. And then, you know, I think you get some grace with the voters and everything like that with, you know, if you lose to Ohio State, Ohio State's obviously, you know, a well-oiled machine. So, I mean, polls are something for another day. And, you know, the end poll is the one that matters. Uh, The playoff poll is the one that matters, honestly. But, uh, I mean, it's it's going to be – and if this game goes – I mean, you just – so I watched the game, you know, I rewatched the game and everything like that. And I don't get a sense that Penn State, you know, the, the execution was not there. The, um, you know, the sort of the crispness that we kind of not expected, but you you should see from a team with, with some veteran leadership and things like that. A returning starting quarterback, we'll say that, was not there. So I, I think there's ways to keep Ohio, to hang around with Ohio State. But you just look at what Ohio State did to Nebraska. I watched some of that game. Uh, Justin Fields is going to be throwing it all over the place, and and Ryan Day is going to be trying to make a statement, you know, because this is this is a huge, huge primetime game for them. So, um, you know, I I I don't know, you know, how much grace they're going to get from Ohio State, but I mean, losing to Indiana, you kind of lose the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah, and this is a team that that lost J.K. Dobbins, replaces him with Trey Sermon out of Oklahoma, a productive career, I think 2,000-plus yards with the Sooners before he transferred. We'll talk about what they've got cooking a little bit more. But just in general, Sean, this series has been really under the microscope for Penn State fans uh, and really what's going on between these two teams on the recruiting trail over these recent years. It's been the site of some defining Penn State moments under James Franklin. 2016, of course, often pinpointed as the moment where the pendulum swung for Penn State football, set the stage for that 2016 Big Ten title run, getting to the Rose Bowl. Um, And then a couple matchups following that, you you go to 2017 and Penn State in the driver's seat in Columbus. That falls apart late. JT Barrett mounts that late comeback in 2018. Another late lead, uh, one that's remembered not because of of Trace McSorley's heroics when he set an all-time record for all-purpose yards in a Penn State game, but because of how the game ended outside of his hands with Miles Sanders buried in the backfield by Chase Young. And of course, that led to the emotional post-game press conference completely unsolicited by anybody in that media room. Uh, James Franklin storms in and goes on the great to elite rant. And that's one that I think could be rubbed in his face quite a bit this Saturday if things go awry for the Nittany Lions. And that recap was brought to you by Tyler's Twitter at TD's Take. So if you have any thoughts on that uh, that recap there, I'm sure he, he, I'm sure they appreciate you recapping their pain. So um, I mean, it's just been it, it's been brutal because Penn State has played Ohio State as well as anyone. Um, you know, you you think back to 2017, you have that game, and all of a sudden it just slips away from you, and it happens a couple times. I mean. Ohio State hasn't exactly been the team that that that's ha- you know that that they've played those games. You know, you you look at what they've done and and they've taken care of business so often. Then you know you slip up at Iowa, or you slip up with Purdue, or something that's kind of out of nowhere. The good teams on their uh, excuse me on their schedule are the ones that they take care of. And for Penn State to have them in a corner, um, you know, you talk about great to elite, and you know th- certainly those those uh, results matter, obviously, um, but. I mean, you just, you're, you're so close to just sort of taking that and, and running with it. And not that you're going to be at the spot that Ohio State is and not that you're going to be, you know, a certain playoff team or anything like that. But I mean, if you put yourself in a position to be neck and neck with Ohio State or at least, you know, just on the tail of Ohio State, then you're in pretty elite company. So uh, you just think how close they get. And, and you know, you, you never want to say, especially in recruiting, that, that one game matters more than any of the other ones. But 2017, you get that win. 
it might be a little bit different now. 2018, you get that win. might be a little bit different now. 2016, I mean, obviously you got that win and you sort of were able to ride it for a couple of years, at least to the Big Ten title and beyond. But man, just you, you think of the the missed opportunities and you just kind of just, I, I, I got to say, it's it's going to be one of those things that even for the rest of his career is going to drive James Franklin crazy because they, they had him when, I mean, when you go out there and you get blown out. I mean, last year was closer than any game that Ohio State played, uh, you know, in the regular season last year, but you never thought that Penn State was going to come out and, you know, t- take the bull by the horns. When you've got them there and you let them go, that's a whole different story. And that's that's really tough to swallow for those guys. Four-point game in the fourth quarter last year. I know it's a little bit difficult to remember, perhaps, because it ended up as a, an 11-point deficit at the end. And, and you know, it was 21 nothing at one point. But that Penn State team gave Ohio State the kind of battle that it did not face the entire uh, journey for them all the way you know, into the into the Big Ten championship game when Wisconsin played a really strong first half against them. And, and that was without Yitor Grossmanos in the second half. And that was without your starting quarterback available or healthy when he was on the field. So this, you know, James Franklin mentioned that today, you know, look at the scores of Ohio State playing pretty much everybody else. Uh, look at the scores of them playing us. You'd like to point to wins rather than the narrow losses, but unfortunately the last three years, that's really what Penn State has to hang its hat on in this series. Uh, the recruiting gap has, has you know, it, here's the thing. Penn State has kind of, uh, you know, gone through its ebbs and flows with recruiting right now, not in a great place compared to where they were a couple of years ago. Ohio State, like like a clock, like clockwork. Urban Meyer's gone. Doesn't matter. Ryan Day goes out and signs a top five class. They, they are in the mix for a number one class this year. So that gap is a seemingly growing from a personnel talent standpoint. That's a tough place to be, even for Penn State. You can view them as the next team up on that talent composite score that 24-7 sports puts out, but the gap is not going anywhere. And in fact, it's getting bigger, it would seem. Um, and and I will throw this in as another uh, dagger to, to the stomach. I'm sorry to do it, but this is Justin Fields' first time back in Beaver Stadium since he attended the 2017 spring game. That was my first time in Beaver Stadium. Uh, I remember seeing him, Fryermuth, Parsons, uh, that whole crew walking together and thinking uh, they got a good group coming in. He didn't make that, but uh, no one thought he'd end up in an Ohio State uniform uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's just everything that there's you know, a lot it, of twist, a twisting of the knives that I. I mean, I, I hate to be the one to apply them, but I know James Franklin is. I mean, it just has to kill him to see how things have progressed since that 2016 game on the recruiting trail. That happened last cycle in a big way, and on the field, and just a lot of a lot of difficult moments. Yeah, and even when you you know, even when something goes wrong, but goes wrong, and it like Justin Fields went to Georgia. I mean, right. he's a kid from the Atlanta area. That makes sense. And then all of a sudden, he's freaking so talented and ends up at Ohio State. It's like, what do you, what do you do? You just kind of throw your hands up and say, what do you do? It's just, it's it's one of those things, and it, it wasn't in 2020, but it felt very 2020 in terms of how it came about for, uh, for this whole triangle for the field to Ohio State, Penn State. Yeah, well, Pat Fryermuth, first really big hello moment to to a lot of fans out there in Indy Nation and really at a national level was in that Ohio State whiteout game uh, back in 2018. Had a big touchdown catch, uh, some key moments for him. All these, all, you know, two years later, uh, he is the sole record holder uh, for the tight ends mark, uh, passing Mike Isicki. Now, 16 touchdowns in his career. Took him 27 games to get there. I think he went like the last four or five games last year without a touchdown catch. So he could have done it a lot sooner. Just want to give him one more congratulatory note on that. We talked to Pat today. 
as you'd expect, putting the team win and, and the lack thereof uh, above his mark. But he did hear from Mike Gesicki. Uh, we had Mike on, on the podcast back in the spring uh, speaking very highly uh, of Pat Fryermuth, talking about how, how he was ahead of the curve getting to campus, certainly to where Mike was as a complete tight end. And I just want to note that because uh, I think that's something that got lost in the shuffle a bit on Saturday. Uh, a great accomplishment. And, and Fryermuth told us this morning, he came back. A big part of the reason he wanted to come back was to get a shot to beat Ohio State. And if you look across this roster now, Antonio Shelton's one guy we talked to today. Um, there's not a lot of guys who, who who were involved on the field last time Penn State beat Ohio State. In fact, I think pretty much anybody on this roster was mostly watching from the sideline at that at that point, trying to to, to embark on their college career. So a lot of guys have been involved on the wrong end of here. There's a lot of motivation for here, and you better believe conversations like we've had on this podcast talking about how now, now they're shorthanded, uh, they're coming off of a loss where they just kept tripping over themselves in so many ways. There's plenty of motivation in place for Penn State. You just wonder if right now they have the firepower to really match up with Ohio State because as I said at the top of the show, this is not the matchup in so many ways that we all thought we would get. Uh, in the 2020 season. And that goes from the lack of people in the bleachers to the lack of superstar talent on the field for Penn State. I mean, I don't think there's any way that you can disagree with that. It's, uh, you know, I'm not going to say we're cheated out of this game, but this was an opportunity that could have been, you know, probably two of the top five, 10 teams in the country. And all of a sudden you get this where you've, you know, Penn State's missing a couple of its guys. I mean, Ohio State, I'm sure they'll probably deal with bumps and bruises. And I think uh, Olave was was banged up last week. And that, that I don't know if you saw that or not, but that was not a pleasant looking hit. Um, but, you know, Ohio State, as they do, have absolutely reloaded in spots, especially receiver. Um, so I think they'll be fine. You know, they can patch holes and, you know, sail down the river a little bit more quickly than Penn State's going to be able to do. So, um, you know, hopefully, you know, they can get some things together. I, to, to me, what I see is a lot of, with the lack of execution, you can clean a lot of that stuff up and they're going to, it's asking a lot to do it in a week and it's asking a lot to turn around and do it against Ohio state. But a lot of that stuff can be cleaned up. Now, if, even if you do clean it up, given what you're going against, given what's, you know, on the other sideline, is it going to be enough? I don't know. Um, But yeah, I think you can, you can envision scenarios where Penn state could, you know, conceivably make this a game, keep it close. And, and Noah Kane just feels like he would have been the perfect kryptonite for, for Ohio State, the guy that's going to keep you on the field, sustaining drives. The clock kryptonite, and, yeah, yeah. And it no just it, to, to lose him, that brings us back to this point and brings us into our five-star mailbag as there's another starter o- o- off the board for Penn State. And the question goes like this, Sean. Outside of the week one starters, which players are most likely to make a long-term impact for Penn State as this season continues, I think it's obvious to go to the running back spot, and, and but we spent so much time talking about that. I, I'm going to go to wide receiver because I still think Keandre Lambert Smith. Um, you know, you saw a couple opportunities there in Week One. I think those opportunities will expand. I think the talent will win out for him eventually uh, over the course of this year. Maybe it's a breakout moment right here on Saturday, and and boy, could they use it! I think he's the kind of explosive playmaker that they need right now to step up. It's just a matter of is he ready to do that in the second game of his college career without getting that spring practice behind him as an early enrollee. He's the guy that my mind goes right to in this conversation. I, I, I do think there's a great chance we see him starting games by the end of the year. But even if he's not starting games, he is the kind of guy that only needs two or three touches to really make his mark in a game and, 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 and move momentum in your favor. 
you know, usually you ask me these five-star mailbag questions and then just pitch it right to me. And that way I can take- Did I, t- did you, I steal you your thunder? You definitely stole my thunder. <laughs> I was going to go Keandre Lamb. I thought I might, so I didn't want to yeah, risk it. Yeah, that was a heady play by you. <laughs> um, but no, I agree with you 100% on Keandre Lambert-Smith. I think uh, he showed some nice things in there. You know, went across the middle a couple of times, got a couple of passes. I, I He did a nice job camping out by the sideline. That was one of my uh, actually favorite plays, not because it was the prettiest or anything like that, but to show a little bit of uh, development from Sean Clifford that he he could start running, pull that ball up and make a throw along the sideline. Lambert Smith kind of sitting right there. And that, I thought that was a really good play for both those. And I think that, you know, that's something you're going to need if, you, if you're going to ask Sean Clifford to improvise a little bit more. That's something you need. So I think Keandre Lambert Smith is, is definitely a pick on offense. Um, on defense, it's probably a little cheating, but I think Adisa Isaac, um, you know, you look at uh, the, the pressure that those defensive ends were going to go. And I think it's pretty clear that those three defensive ends are, you know, certainly at a tier above the, the rest of the depth chart right now. Adisa looked good. Um, you know, he came around, he got that sack that he was, uh, you know, got that face mask, which was just a brutal call. Um, but no, I think Adisa Isaac's a guy that's going to, excuse me, going to play a lot of football for Penn State this year and going to have a long lasting impact. You move back and I, I just wonder where else it's going to come from because uh, Marquise Wilson's probably a guy, you know, that we can almost consider a starter. Um, but then again, he didn't play a whole lot of football. Uh, Lance Dixon stepped in. Uh, you would like to see some, you know, some, some more development from him as a linebacker in terms of angles, in terms of, uh, you know, trying to pick the right, uh, pick the right gaps, pick the right spots and things like that. But that's, um, you know, that, that I think that's, maybe not a ways away, but he's going to need a little bit more development. And I don't know that that's going to come against Ohio State. And Jair Brown, um, you know, just a step slow uh, on Saturday. I don't think anybody would qualify his performance as good or anything like that. He looked very much like a junior college guy playing his first game. Um, but I think that, you know, he showed some some nice athleticism. He showed some nice things out there. And they, they seem to have some faith in him putting him out there as early as they have. I don't know where things stand with with Keaton Ellis right now because we didn't see him on defense, but I you know I continue to be a firm believer in him and Marquise Wilson as difference makers at cornerback. They've got two very good starters as of what we've seen through one week. Joey Porter Jr. doing nothing to dispel the buzz that was around him entering the season. Still have to believe those guys make a mark, but it's very hard to disagree. If you're going to pick a singular guy on defense, Adiza Isaac, I'd imagine, would be the overwhelming pick. And and I'm just going to be keeping an eye on Curtis Jacobs because he did crack the two deep coming out of camp. Wasn't involved here in week one, but because of how things are progressing at linebacker, the unknowns, there's going to be a chance for for Pry to maybe reassess and recalibrate once he sees these guys as in full action over the course of this game. And remember, Maryland's on the Maryland's still around the corner. So you'd like to think we'd have a chance to see the the personnel get opened up a little bit and see more of these guys in action. Don't think there'll be an opportunity to do it. Uh, here There's your non-conference right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that feels like the opportunity to to, to say, okay, that's what this guy's looks like in a Big Ten game. Uh, okay, I watched that. I watched that Maryland. <laughs> Uh, some of that Maryland Northwestern game the other night and who they're bad. They are that, that is going to be a team that if they win a game this year, they're going to have, you know, they're going to earn it because that, uh, that was tough. Northwestern wasn't particularly doing anything crazy and uh, just holes all over that Maryland roster and, and Tua, he is not. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what that quarterback situation is moving forward, but that's, Boy, uh, that's Mike Loxley's got to cut out for him because I don't, I do not envy having to turn that one around and and trying to figure out what they're going to do there because that's you know you, you, even even your Rutgers guys uh, you know can hang their hat on what they did on Saturday which you know we make I make fun of Rutgers all the time but 
go out to East Lansing, which and Michigan State's not any good, but still. Stop I mean, they qualifying did with, it, Sean. It's been a long time. Just, it, just <laughs> it's been a long time. The birthplace. <laughs> um, no, I mean, but no, it, it, it's right. I mean, those those are three bad teams at the bottom of the Big Ten East, and uh, Maryland, I think, is much worse than those other two, um, and it's it's tough to uh, it, it was it was almost tough to watch because it was it was sort of like when you're thinking about Maryland a couple of years ago when they had all those quarterback injuries and you just kind of cringe by watching this one wasn't really injuries as much as it's just ineptitude. So I mean it's just uh, it's going to be a long long season for those guys. Penn State has outscored Maryland one sixty three to six in the last three meetings. That's about an average of fifty four to a safety over the course of those three games. So you got that to look forward to. If we brought you down a bit with our conversation early on about Ohio State, that's right around the corner, November 7th in Beaver Stadium as well. But they still got to play this game. Penn State certainly isn't going to consider themselves uh, and also ran entering this contest. You'd imagine the motivation will be there, although some key components of this roster will not be. We'll be back with you later in the week to, to feature a bit more of the conversation on the Buckeyes. What is Penn State contending with? How does this Ohio State team maybe measure up against the 2019 version? Version that was so dominant along the way, but still got quite the test from Penn State in Columbus. And where maybe can we see Penn State uh, making some improvements that may make the difference on the scoreboard on Saturday? That's all coming your way later. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast.